All right, with the time that, that we have this evening, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament tonight, the book of Haggai. <clears throat> the book of Haggai. And I have two titles for you tonight. Uh, two titles. The first title is, Now is the Time. Now is the Time. And my subtitle is a question. What are you building for God today? What are you building for God today? Now let's read the text, then we'll pray, and we'll get right into the message. So, we read in verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you. But there is none warm, and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands." Father, we are so thankful to be here tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you for such a loving church family as Legacy Baptist Church. Uh, Lord, thank you for what you've done through these people, through your people in this place. We understand it's not because of us, it's in spite of us. But nonetheless, Lord, we rejoice in the marvelous work you've done here and are continuing to do. We rejoice tonight that this is a church that is moving forward for the glory and the cause of Jesus Christ. But yet in our lives, Lord, there's always a tendency to rest a little bit easy when we should be building and planting and growing and accomplishing things for God. We should be making progress. And Lord, I pray that our, our thoughts would be uh, centered upon uh, what you'd have for us, Lord, that we'd not fall into that complacency and, and rest content with past accomplishments, 
but Lord, that we'd understand that the, the, there's a time now to be serving you and building something that really counts for God. And so we give you the glory for what you'll do and, and how you speak to our hearts in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought about the ant? You know, the Bible does say in Proverbs, consider the ant or go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. You know, those, those pesky little ants that like to get into your pantry. I mean, they, they can get into the house through, it, it seems like, uh, the, the slightest of cracks and openings, and, and there they are. And yet the ants are always busy. The ant is a builder. Uh, years ago, I, I watched a documentary, and uh, they, they took one of these ant colonies where they, they had built this huge colony. Really, it's an underground city that the ants build. And uh, they wanted to take a concrete mold of that ant colony. And so what they did is they poured concrete into the ant colony. Now, get ready for this. They poured in 10 tons of concrete, waited several weeks to excavate the whole thing, and the resulting structure was 50 meters across and 8 meters deep. The estimate is that 60 million ants had worked together, moving 40 tons of earth to build that colony. I mean, that's just crazy, isn't it? There's many reasons why God wants us to consider the ant. And I believe part of that is that God wants us to be an industrious people. God wants us to be moving forward, planning for Him, uh, involved, uh, strategizing to, to the work of God the best that we can. He desires us to build something for His glory. That may not always be a physical building. It, it, it can be that God uh, wants us to just be building our homes for the Lord, our marriages, our families. You know, if, if God uh, gives you an opportunity to uh, have, let's say, your own business, then you ought to build that for His glory. You know, we always talk, try and make it spiritual, and, but it is all spiritual. You're building your home, your business, your life. His kingdom. Uh, I mean, we, we ought to be building and planting and growing and making progress, doing something for God. The things that last, that's what we're talking about. Okay? And that's really what it is all about. Above everything else, we, we have, as we saw this morning, be a light. To have a life and a testimony that pleases God. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to just flip your Bible open there for a moment... In verse 10, uh, Paul talked about how God gave him a certain grace in this area of building something for God. And the way he described it here in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10, he said, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, he said, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take how he buildeth thereon. 
You know, that tells me accomplishing things for God and building a life and, and building his kingdom and all that is multi-generational. You know, the, the only reason that we're enabled to build anything is because we stand on shoulders on the shoulders of those who went before us. And the fact is that we have to understand at some point that there's another generation coming after us and we need to leave them something to build on because they're going to be standing on our shoulders and moving forward. Uh, but I think it's clear what, what Paul says, and, and going back to the book of Haggai, that everybody should be building. Everybody should be industrious. Every one of us should be just like those ants, you know, uh, with, with, with a strategy and a plan and hard work, uh, getting some things done for God. And then 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything. So getting back to our text, you know, we, we note that Haggai was certainly a prophet, uh, but he was also a builder, and he was interested in uh, the temple of God. Okay, that was significant for Israel. That was significant for Judah. Why? Uh, because it was the representation, the place of God's manifest presence in the midst of his people. And he believed that that was critical and essential for the, the glory of God among his people. Now, Haggai, just to put him in sort of a time frame, along with Zechariah and Malachi, are what we know as post-exilic prophets. That means that their ministry, their, their prophetic ministry came after uh, Israel or Judah's return from exile. Jeremiah, remember, he prophesied how they'd be 70 years. Um, uh, in, in exile in Babylon. And uh, in 538, Darius, who we read about also in the book of Daniel, was a Persian king, decreed that the Jews could return to their homeland and rebuild the temple. And there was this initial flurry of activity. There was a stage of construction on the foundation and, and so forth, but uh, after some opposition, the work had come to a ground to a halt for a period of 14 years. And when that happened, the people began to pursue their own personal interests. And by the time we read Haggai's prophecy, they had begun to experience the disciplining hand of God in their lives. And so that's kind of the context in which Haggai... Uh, delivers his uh, message here. And if you look down to verse number 8, I believe the message is really clear. It's as clear as God could give to any people. Aren't you glad God doesn't speak really, uh, for the most part, in, in, in mysteries that we can't understand? I mean, it's just plain. Leave the plan of salvation, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God doesn't mince words. He's clear. He's right to the point. He really uses an economy of language many times to just get that point across. And so here it is in verse 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. I mean, just do it. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified. So, 
You know, that, that message really is timeless. It's timeless. God's not asking us to build a temple today. God's not necessarily asking us to, to build a church building. But God's asking us to build. God's asking us to invest ourselves and our, our talents and our resources and our energies in His divine purposes. And so if, if, if that kind of building is ever going to be uh, commenced, if not completed, there's several realities that have to be faced, just as the people of God had to face these realities in, in, in Haggai's day. And the first is this from verse 2. The first reality is that they had to face uh, the fact that there was a prohibitive attitude among the people. Look at it in verse number 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people. It's interesting. At that point, he's not saying my people. He's saying, These people. <laughs> These people over here. Listen to what they're saying. The time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. And it's an attitude of negativity. You ever encounter that as you're wanting to serve God? Huh? Ever encounter that from family members? You know, they're like, you're, you're crazy. What are you doing? You know, you could be doing so much else with your life. Why are you so invested in God? Why are you so invested in, in the spiritual side of life? It's not the time for that. You know, you only live once. You know, enjoy life. And so there's a prohibitive attitude. People are saying, you know, it's not the time. And uh, it, it was an attitude that they had in their heart. It, uh, the, the sentiment that they entertained and expressed, we could, certainly we could say it's one of apathy. It's procrastination and this negativity. Nehemiah encountered that same negativity when he went to rebuild the walls and repair the gates of Jerusalem. One of his opponents was a man named Tobiah the Ammonite. And what he said about Israel at that day was, you know, even if they build this wall, you know, a little fox can kind of go up on that wall and the wall is going to break apart, it's going to fall down. So they're just wasting their time. <laughs> I'm just saying, when you desire to build something for God, something that brings glory to God, if, if you're investing in your children, if you're investing in, in your own spiritual walk with God, if you're investing in a ministry of the church, someone, I guarantee you, come along and criticize that. Some will be negative. And sometimes it's not only from without, sometimes it can come from, from, from within. I mean, as a pastor for 30 plus years, I heard everything over the years, you know. Uh, when it came to, we were looking at one time building a building, I had, I had people say, uh, you know what, we, we, let's not build because, you know, after all, the government's just going to come along and take it all away from us anyway. I heard negativity about the bulletin. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's just, just a little piece of paper. That's what a bulletin is. You fold it twice. You know, you put order of service. You put some, uh, maybe some nice quotes. You put scripture on it even. And I had people say to me, the bulletin is a waste of people's time and God's money. I thought, wow, <laughs> I'd never heard that before. I went to four years of Bible college and never encountered that kind of a sentiment. Uh, but I'm just saying, 
You know, you launch out and say, I'm going to try something, something new for God. I want to launch out and attempt something great for the glory of God. That's your heart. Someone's going to come along and criticize it. And, and that has to be overcome. And we better be careful that we're not the negative speakers, right? We're not the ones pouring that, that negativity in because it affects and infects uh, others. It could be uh, the source of negativity it came from Zerubbabel and Joshua. Think of it, the very, the very ones that were in leadership might have been the, the negative ones in that day. But the Bible says wherever it comes from, we've got to be careful uh, because, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, be not deceived, evil communications, evil associations can corrupt good manners. The Bible talked about a man who uh, actually happened to be a, a relative of Moses by the name of Korah and talk about his gainsaying. And how he came against Moses with all kinds of negativity and, and a critical spirit, which led to what? God's judgment in Israel. Which led to what? The unnecessary deaths of over 14,000 people. And you can read all about that in number 16. I'm just saying, be careful. You know, the, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that um, we need to be on guard about bitterness. Because that bitterness springing up can trouble us, and thereby many be defiled. Sometimes negative speaking even comes across as authoritative. It can actually appear to be truth-based. And it can actually sound really pious, really spiritual. You know, these people are saying, oh, it's not the time to build. What are you talking about? I mean, it's not the time to build. And they, they were not asking, should we be building something? They were saying. They were just taking the, the position of authority, declaring the thing as if it were gospel truth. You know, by the way, we're not led about by every wind of doctrine. We're not led about by every whim and every fancy of others around us. We need to be led by the Spirit of God and by His Word. And if God calls you to do something, then you ought, to, you ought to step out and do it for God. You know, we've had this discussion and we're having a meeting here on Tuesday about church planting. You know, we, we have a, a desperate situation in Canada. We are losing some churches. I'm talking about independent Baptist, Bible preaching churches. We are losing some pastors. There's churches that need a pastor. There's probably 20 churches that need pastor right now. And maybe, maybe some young man would think, well, you know what? Maybe rather than planting a church, I just ought to go and take a church. But we need to be careful about being so pragmatic about it to where even someone would suggest, why, why don't you take that church? I'd like to ask the individual, what has God called you to do? And so, you see, if God calls a man to plant a church... By God's grace, he better go do that. Not be out of God's will. Even the devil speaks a lot of truth. Did you know that? Okay, his truth's always mixed with error. But he quoted scripture, didn't he, when he tempted the Lord Jesus? Quoted scripture. Oh, listen, we gotta be careful about this negative speaking. 
that will keep us from serving God the way God desires us to serve Him. Negative speaking begins in the heart. It's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so, you know, even therefore, before this negativity is verbalized, it's already sin. The problem with these people in Haggai's day with, it was not primarily with what they said, but it began with what they thought. It began with this whole prohibitive attitude that, you know what, it's not the time to build. But you get clearly from our text that now is the time. And it leaves us with a couple thoughts to ponder. If it is not now time to do something for God, I'm talking about September 15th, 2019. If it is not time for you as an individual to get out of your comfort zone and be doing something for God, then when will it be time? When will it be that time? And if it's not the time to attempt something for God, then what is it the time for? What is it the time for? So we have to overcome that prohibitive attitude. Secondly, we need to understand that there must be a priority adjustment in our lives. The question is asked in verse number four, and this is directly from God through Haggai the prophet in response to people's attitude. The question, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Here they are living in these luxurious paneled homes, uh, cedar, no doubt, imported from Lebanon. Those trees didn't exist around Jerusalem, so it would be expensive to transport those, build their nice homes. And perhaps those very trees, think about it, that may have, uh, should have gone into the Lord's house, were used as paneling for their own homes. This is, this is clear, this is what they're spending their money on. This was their priority, and they were not putting God first. That's the problem. They're only concerned with their own comforts. Uh, I mean, it was okay for them to be expansive and elaborate at home, but status quo when it comes to the house of God. These people had a conflict of interest. And it was hypocrisy of the highest order. You know, there, we need to understand that there are priorities in all of our lives. And in any of those priorities, God must be first. Let, let me just give you three examples. The priority of sequence or time. God has to be first on our schedule. Would you agree with me tonight? I mean... When you wake up in the morning, is God first on your thoughts? Saying, oh boy, you know what? I have to get into God's Word today. Because if I'm not in the Word, I'm not going to have the message that God wants for me today. Everything else is going to come along and crowd God out. Is God first as a priority in sequence? Our prayer time, so vital. So vital. You know, we think, well, you know, I've read the Bible through a hundred times before. <laughs> you, you know, I've prayed every which way, frontwards, backwards, sideways. I've pray, prayed every re- request I know how to pray. So what's the point? The point is that your heart's going to wax cold. The point is that your fervency is going to die. The point is that without a vital relationship with God, you're not going to be doing what God wants you to do. 
there's a priority as far as significance or importance. In other words, um, where are we placing or assigning value in our lives? What are the most important? It's not only the sequence in time, but it's the significance. What's the most important? You know, do we put God's things sort of on the back burner? Well, those are secondary issues, you know. I got a, I got a car to fix today, you know. I've got, uh, I, I need an oil change. Can you, imagine, can you imagine putting God on the shelf for an oil change? Now, I know the oil change needs to be done, but I'm just saying, in your, in your uh, estimation, where are the things of true significance in your life? And that's often seen in the third area, the priority as far as our substance is concerned. On what do we spend our resources? Okay. What is the most important when it comes to our resources? Things, they come and go. We all need things. You know, we, we need our food. We need our clothing. We need a roof over our head. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're not going to take anything with us, are we? We'll leave it all behind. You know, didn't Jesus say we're to lay up for ourselves what treasures where? In heaven, where moth or rust does not corrupt. We're not supposed to lay up those treasures here. So the priority of our substance. And that involves sometimes adjusting our priorities. They, they, get, they get skewed real quickly. Are you with me? Have you, have you experienced it in your life? I have. So quickly you just kind of float into that zone where, wait a minute, my priorities are not right. God's not first where he ought to be. i got to get back to that. God help us understand that. Thirdly, God asks for a procedural acknowledgement. Several times in our text, notice the phrase that God says as he speaks. He says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Your ways... Speak of the procedure, how you do life. And God says, I, I, I want an acknowledgement that you're looking at your life with an understanding that uh, your heart is not set in the right way and in the right place and your life is not being directed or ordered as it ought to be. And so God calls the people to understand and acknowledge uh, that as, as far as where their path is leading them. It's not only acknowledgement of where they are now, but where they're going to end up as a result of choices that they make today. God asked us, even today, to look honestly at our actions, attitudes, our choices, and understand the result of them. Yes, as we said this morning, we have the free will to proceed however we want with our lives. But we don't get to choose the consequences. Here they had procrastinated in God's work. They weren't building they, they, for God. They were building for themselves. They had embraced the wrong priorities. And God says to Israel, hold on a minute. Look at what you're doing. Look at where you're headed. And they needed to, cons- they needed to consider that their current direction was one of poor investments. Do you see that there? He said in verse 6, ye have sown much and bring in little. You're, you're not receiving any real return for what you're doing. You see, there's a well-known biblical principle of sowing and reaping. And 
you know, you, you, you can, you can sow to the flesh. You can sow to material things. You can sow to the things of the world. And even Solomon did that. But he discovered at the end of it all, when he probably had accumulated and amassed more wealth than any man of his time, and maybe comparatively speaking to any man of history, that it was all what in the book of Ecclesiastes? It's all vanity. Man, Solomon said, I have it all! You know, any pleasure, any object of my affection, I have it all! But I'm telling you, it's empty. It's meaningless. It's, a, it's, it's just all a pile of nothing. Dissatisfaction. And yet the Bible says, if we consider our ways, that in the realm of our walk with God and really seeking to build something for Him and for His kingdom, that we're to be, according to 1 Corinthians 15:58, steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, it's all in vain. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's not in vain when you're serving God. Build something for yourself. It'd be dissatisfying. Build something for God. It's the only thing that truly satisfies. The dissatisfaction is further uh, articulated here in uh, verse 6. He said, um, you eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. You see, they, they've gotten beyond the purpose of life's basic necessities. You eat, why? Because you're hungry. Okay? You, you eat to live, by the way. We don't live to eat. <laughs> I mean, that's, that can be a problem here in this affluent society. Um, you, you drink to satisfy your thirst. You wear clothes for warmth, protection from the elements, and for biblical modesty. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 8, that having food and raiment, we're to be content. Have you ever thought about this? Discontentment is actually God's judgment on the extravagant. I heard recently of one billionaire um, asking what he needed to make him real happy. You know, and it was basically the next pile of money. Well, what has he not learned over all those years of accumulating massive wealth? It doesn't satisfy folks. It does not. Those that honor God... Are blessed, like even in the financial realm, right? We know we know to tithe, we know to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. And people might think as a Christian, "Well, I'm 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 not under the law. I'm under grace, and I'm liberated from that." But you know, even the person that says, "I'm liberated from tithing." God always gets his tithe. Okay, how much better to give it cheerfully and with joy? knowing that, that we're honoring God through that. So if, if we're ever going to build something for God, uh, just follow this through. With, we're, we're down to our last point now. We, we've got to overcome this prohibitive attitude, this negativity, whether that is, uh, starts with us or maybe that comes to us from others and it discourages us. We've got to move beyond 
ourselves or others that will be negative about building and doing something for God. And we just got to go on, go forward, move forward. We've got to make a priority adjustment. We've got to say, in, 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 as far as time is concerned, as, as far as my schedule is concerned, as far as the, the significance of the items that, that, that I need to do for God, as far as um, even my substance uh, being involved, my resources, I've got to understand my first priority is serving God. My first priority is living for Him. And then I need to have this procedural acknowledgement for which God asks. In other words, I've got to consider my ways. I'm going to say, okay, God, uh, I will consider that. I will look at it, and I will make adjustments as I need to. If I'm headed towards an unfruitful and an unprofitable result, then it would only seem proper and fitting. It would only seem the wise thing to do, wouldn't it, to make a course alteration. And it's only then that we're going to know at the end of the day a God-pleasing accomplishment that we read about in verse 8. Here is the command again. Go up the mountain, bring wood, and build the house. Simple as that. Just do what I ask. And here's what I'm going to do, God says. I'll take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. God is pleased when His people work. Say, you know, some people think, oh, work. <laughs> you know, is, my goal in life is to get out of work. But I, I, I want to serve notice with you tonight. You understand something. Some pe- people would even say, well, work, wasn't that part of the curse, you know, after man sinned? No. The sweat of the brow and the thorns were the curse. But you know, long before the fall, God put man in the garden and God said, you dress it and keep it. God wanted man industrious from the very beginning. Work's not part of the curse. Work is a blessing when we understand the purpose of it. More than just providing our own needs, it's to bring glory to God. And God says, when my people work, And when they're building on this foundation and they're building the right things, building the right kind of life and the right kind of a Christian family and a home, and they're building together under God's leadership in the church and going in the direction, God says, I'm pleased. God enjoys that. It glorifies Him. And that's our ultimate pleasure as well, by the way, is to see God glorified. You know, if if you said about, and and maybe you have, maybe you have this, and I'm not going to take time for you to tell your stories. We probably could all tell them where we've set about maybe to build a little bit of our own kingdom. We've set out to do something that just satisfies us. And maybe just lifts us up and exalts us a little bit and brings glory to us. And at the end of that whole exercise, how does that leave you? Empty. But when it's done to glorify Him, wow. You know, we're looking for miracles sometimes. But miracles don't come to people who sit on their hands. Miracles come to people who are obedient. 
You know, Jesus healed a lot of people in his earthly ministry. But you ever notice that, that Jesus didn't just do it all. He said to that lame man, arise, take up thy bed and walk. You know, Jesus had, had people doing some things. He had them taking action. Why? It showed a response of faith. Trusting in God. Fearing God. Verse 12 says that the, the, the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. And then it says in verse 14, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of, uh, of hosts, their God. A God-pleasing accomplice took place because now the people obeyed when they heard the word of the Lord. Now they feared God. And their spirit was stirred up. I mean, just in plain language, that means those people got excited. Hey, it's thrilling to serve Jesus Christ. There's no greater joy. I'm telling you what. Just to have a part. As your pastor said tonight to say, well, you know, we had a little part. But, you know, even just to have a little part in God's great work. That's exciting stuff. We ought to be stirred up about that. We ought to be enthused about it. And we ought to just keep working away for God. Not expecting the Christian life to be handed to us on a silver platter. Like old J. Vernon, J. Vernon McGee said. Told the story of a student in seminary who complained to his professor. And said, you know, doctor, that book you assigned for us to read is really dry. Maybe it was, I don't know. There's some dry (laughs) theological books out there. But apparently that professor looked up and smiled and said, well, dampen it a little bit with some sweat from your brow. (laughs) Get to work. You know, my grandpa, my grandpa, he he lived through the, 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 the Great Depression. You know, he came through some lean times, some hard times. He and his family came over from uh, 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 Ukraine in the time that the Bolshevik Revolution took place and and the, the, the Russian communists took power. My grandpa saw some lean times. But I'll tell you what, my granddad knew how to work. And when I was mowing the lawn as a 10 year old boy, mowing my grandpa's lawn, he came out in the middle of a hot summer day. Sweat was just pouring off my forehead, and my shirt was saturated. And my grandpa looked out the door, and he said, you're sweating. He said, well, I, I like that, Brian. He said, if a man's not sweating, he's not working. That was my grandpa's take on it. And I think we need to get back to that, even in realms of our service for God. Let, let's work for him. Now's the time, folks. What are you building for God today? You're building your life? Hey? Are you making significant investments in your spiritual journey, your walk with God, your home, your marriage, your church? I know that this church has a great desire to not only invest right here, but to invest through 
church planting. That's evident. You sent down how many people to help program in Sarnia? You sent a big group down uh, to, to minister last Sunday night. You sent people down this morning. Keep up the good work. Keep moving forward for God. He'll bless you. You'll know His joy. Father, we thank You for this time together. And Lord, uh, I feel a little bit like preaching to the choir here. But Lord, maybe there's folks here tonight that just really needed to have that, that message stirred up again in their hearts to be building, to understand now, now is the time to be busy about God's work. And uh, I pray that you'd help us all to, Lord, follow through with whatever it is you've laid upon our heart to do and to be and to serve you. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.